Hi there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This bonus episode is the sermon from our Christmas morning service on 25 December 2019. The text was from Luke chapter 2. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I want to draw your attention back for a minute to just one part of the story in Luke chapter 2. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all of these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And this is the word of the Lord for the morning. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well done. Most of us don't feel particularly extraordinary on a regular basis, I'm guessing. Most of the time, I I think we feel properly adequate. Maybe even some days we feel particularly on top of our game and we we go out the front door with a spring in our step or uh, or we leave work feeling particularly confident and a job well done way to go we've done well at school maybe we've gotten a nice grade something like that but I wouldn't say that any of us feel particularly overwhelmingly extraordinary in the sense that most people think of of extraordinary people. And we think of extraordinary people who, who do great and, and have, have very powerful jobs and, and they're, they're making lots of money and, and they're, they're very important. They, they have important things that they do. But my dad, my dad was a middle school teacher. My dad taught behavior disorders in middle school. So think of your average middle schooler who is, you know, has, has lots of warring things going on inside them anyway, and these are the kids who have behavior problems that my dad dealt with. And it was in a low-income school, uh, and it was also the school that I went to. So my dad, on a regular basis, would have to deal with kids going in and out of juvenile detention centers, and he would have to deal with, uh, with kids throwing things at him in class, and kids getting sent out of class because 
they had done disruptive or violent things. But my dad just patiently cared for these kids uh, as best as he could. And because my dad was just somebody who quietly, patiently cared and always believed in the value of every life he came across, he quickly became somebody who wasn't just known by the problem children, so to speak, of the school. He was known well by all of the kids in school. But my dad, despite being one of the more popular teachers, I should probably note that his popularity only soared when he was one of the lead voices in uh, the Edison Junior High School uh, remake of Sister Act. <laughs> my, you might say my dad had a bad habit of uh, being a, uh, the object of jokes and things like that. Um, my dad also was once Carmen Miranda in the, uh, the school talent show, complete with a fruit hat and everything. <laughs> but my dad, despite being one of the most popular teachers in school, instilled one thing in me. About once a week, my dad would say, take care of the secretaries, the lunch ladies, and the janitors, and they'll take care of you. Because my dad knew that he could be as popular as he wanted to be. He could be as, as well-loved as he wanted to be for himself, but what he knew really mattered was how he cared for the people who were considered the least important in the school. March 15, 1998, my dad died. He had a massive heart attack and, and didn't wake up from, from a nap that he took before church. And when they had the visitation, all of the cooks and the janitors from the school took a half day off of work and they the first five people who signed the guest book were the were the lunch and the cleanup crew from Edison Junior High School at the time that Jesus was born it was very common there there was a very instilled hierarchy of society both in Roman society and in Jewish society. See, Jewish society should have been different. The, the, the people of that day, they should have known that, yes, there are people who are called to do special things by God, but that their, their specialness did not come from their titles or their skills or abilities, but came from their calling as children of the promise to be the people through whom the rest of the world would get to know God. But they gave into this, this system anyway, where, where there were people who were low, and there were people who were in the middle, and there were people who were high. So as we look at this cultural setup, it might be slightly worthwhile to consider how birth announcements were declared by very important people at that time. If a, 
if a king or a Caesar had a son, it was proclaimed throughout the empire. They sent horses and, and messengers to all of the noblemen and all of the, the wealthy and all of the important people of the day, proclaiming that a son has been born, that the lineage can be passed on. And it was a great day of celebrating and rejoicing and all of that. Eventually, the news would, you know, make its way down to everybody else, trickle down. But what we see here is a reversal. Because the very first people, besides Mary and Joseph and, and all of that, the very first people to know about the birth of Jesus were shepherds. Gosh, I love the shepherds. I wouldn't want to be one. Not at all. <laughs> because shepherds deal with poop. And I have no interest in dealing with poop any more than I have to. But shepherds were very interesting people. I did research this week on shepherds. Shepherds were kind of middle-class type people originally. But because of what they did taking care of the sheep and all of that, most shepherds could not afford their, the taxes on their land and to keep their own sheep, so they would also have to keep somebody else's sheep. They would have to hire themselves out basically as slaves uh, to serve other people and to care for their sheep. Shepherds were ceremonially unclean because they were not able to do uh, the hand-washing rituals that needed to be done. They often dealt with the aforementioned poop. They, they often dealt with death. They, they would have to deal with the mortality of sheep, the idiocy of sheep. Sheep will uh, drink water until they drown. They will eat food until their stomachs explode. Um, and so it's, it's always an interesting thing with when, uh, when we hear the Bible say that uh, Jesus is the good shepherd because then we really know how good Jesus is to put up with a bunch of sheep like us. Um, mm. Shepherds were ceremonially unclean, but yet when we read in this passage, they had complete and total faith that God was behind what was going on, that this wasn't a collective hallucination, that this wasn't a figment of their imagination, that this was something real that was happening, and it was from the Lord. Because these were all nice young Jewish boys. These weren't just ignorant farmhands. These were, these were people who had spent the first 12 years of their lives memorizing the Torah. But because their parents were shepherds, they ended up being shepherds. And so when you're thinking about the shepherds, most of our, you know, if, if you've got a nativity scene at home, you've probably got maybe some, some grizzled-looking man with a staff who's got a sheep, or at, at the very least some sort of grown-up with a sheep. Um, but it could also be a boy with a sheep. Because if you were 12 and were out of religious school, you could be out with your dads in the dad in the fields. Megan, how old are you? Thirteen. If 
if you were a, 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 a boy instead of a girl, then, and your dad were a shepherd, you could be out in the fields with the sheep, which normally wouldn't be any big deal. Normally, you know, it's just the night in the wilderness, in the dark, looking after sheep. And this isn't now when there's light pollution and everything else. This is in the time of the Bible, when we didn't have electric lights and, and everything like this. So it was black, black as night. Your eyes got adjusted to it, but it was very, very dark. One other thing about these shepherds, we don't know for sure. There's no way we can be certain about this because we just don't have the details. But geographically speaking, it's entirely possible, given the proximity between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, it's entirely possible that these were the sheep that were being raised as the sacrifices without blemish for temple worship. And when I read that, it was mind-blowing because I'd never thought, oh, you know, these, these sheep, they're just here. They're without blemish. They're going to sacrifice them. But then I thought, somebody's, once I read that, I thought, oh, yeah, somebody's got to raise these sheep, right? They don't just come out of nowhere. That would be quite startling to wake up one morning and there's a sheep in your living room. I guess I have to care for it now. We'll name it Wooly and it'll sleep in the bathtub. But... <laughs> These, these shepherds were ceremonially unclean. They were not allowed to worship with the rest of the people of God. But yet they're raising sheep for temple worship. It's an incredible irony that's worth pondering. The angels appear to the shepherds. And by appearing to the shepherds, they make them the first people to hear the good news. And the shepherds don't flinch. They know what they have to do. They get up and they run into Bethlehem. They respond immediately. No questions asked. And then after it's all over, they become the first evangelists. Isn't it interesting to note that the first evangelists to the good news of Jesus were shepherds, people who were considered to be lowest of the low, and then the women at the tomb. The first Christian preachers were the women who, who saw Jesus, who, who found out Jesus had been raised from the dead, and went back and told the disciples. And at that time, women weren't, didn't really count for much in that society. So what does all this mean? What, when we add this all up, when we look at the shepherds, what does it mean for us today? It means that the birth of Christ is good news for all people from the bottom up to the top. With the shepherds hearing the message first and reacting the way they did, it gives a model for the rest of us. Could they have been fired for what they did? Absolutely. 
Could they have, have lost their homes, lost their livelihood for abandoning their sheep in a field? Oh, yeah. Wolves could have come out and eaten the sheep. The sheep could have wandered away. They might have had to have gone and gotten them. We don't know what happened when they got back. It just says they went back to tending their flocks. And think about all of the different things that are involved in tending a flock, and and that's what the shepherds had to do. They had to go back to that. Maybe they had to round up sheep. Maybe they had to deal with sheep who had been slaughtered or lost and figure out what to do from there. But they responded instantly without a thought for their wealth, without a thought for their personal well-being, without a thought for anything but the fact that they had heard good news and they responded to it. You can do that more easily when you're at the bottom, can't you? And Jesus himself said that it's easier for, for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because when you have a lot, you, can't just, you don't just want to abandon it all for the sake of good news. And so in a time when we're, when we're finishing thinking about presents and gifts and everything like that, we're called to ask, is there anything that holds us back from responding immediately to the good news of God? The good news that Jesus Christ lives and reigns and that through the power of the Holy Spirit in the church that we are his people acting on as the body of Christ in the world? It's something the shepherds bid us to consider. Something else the shepherds cause us to consider is, is something that I, th- I thought of when, when, when I read the song of the innkeeper last night. And that was that they had no concern for their social status. They went tearing through the streets of Bethlehem. We have this nice song, Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And then tearing through the middle of Bethlehem are shepherds. They're shouting, they're screaming, they're rejoicing. It's good news. Do we act like it's good news? Do we act like this is news that the world desperately needs to hear? Do we act like the world needs to know that everything is being set right through Jesus Christ, that all things are being made new? Or do we keep it to ourselves, afraid that our social standing or our friends might be put off by our acknowledgement that good things can be going on in the world? Are we afraid of being forward with our faith and being mocked and ridiculed for it? Because sometimes I wish I had the abandon of the shepherds. Because even though I'm very well aware that I'm a nerd, I still want to be a cool nerd. I don't want to be a dork. Or a noob, as the kids are saying these days. I I, I want to be cool. I want to be liked. I I don't want to be hassled. But the shepherds didn't care. They just wanted to rejoice in the good news of Jesus. And I wish I were more like that. 
We learn that from the shepherds. There's one other thing that we learn from the shepherds. That's that maybe the people that the world thinks are least important are, are, are special in the eyes of God. Maybe it's the janitors and the secretaries and the, and the lunch ladies that toil without recognition, that, that work without acclaim or glory or trophies or positions or titles. Maybe it's the people who are the lowest that are the most exalted in the kingdom. Maybe it's the people that we would, would prefer to, to not have that much to do with that we'd kind of like rather ignore that God's welcoming into the kingdom behind our backs. Because the shepherds were nobodies. We don't have any of their names. We don't even know, you know, who they were, where they, where they came from, whose flocks they were tending. We don't have their lineage or de- genealogy. All we know is that they were shepherds. Sometimes we get hung up on fame and sometimes we get hung up on importance. And sometimes when we get hung up on fame and importance we start to take the world's values of people and not God's. They put a plaque up of my dad at Edison Junior High and it has my dad's picture on it. He had a, you know, one of those church directory photos, you know, where you're, it's the Olin Mills. They have the, the blue background with the flecks of other colors in it to make it look artsy. It's a great picture of my dad. And I hope when I'm 53, I look as good as my dad did. Still had a full head of hair, still uh, salt and pepper, you know, still had a, a brilliant smile on his face. And so they used that picture and, and carved, a, a, carved it into to brass or, or you know, whatever they make these, these plaques and things out of. It was kind of a 3D thing. Um, they got everything but his teeth right. His teeth were kind of horrifying. It just didn't, didn't quite work. And they put a plaque up. And that was in 1998. It's 21 years I don't think any of the teachers that he taught with are, are still teaching. I think the principal was one of his co-workers, but she might have even retired. But every now and then, I'll go back and I'll, I'll visit my mom in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And I'll have to go get something at the mall or... Well, you go to the mall when you're in a small town because there's nothing else to do. The mall, Walmart, whatever... And so I'll be out, and somebody will stop me. And it won't be, you know, just be a guy wandering through the mall. And he'll say, hey, aren't you John Witham? And then I have that reaction of, oh, God, what did I do? <laughs> and I'll say, yeah, I'm John Witham, he said. And, and 
whoever it is will say, your dad, your dad put me on the right track. And I didn't want to admit it at the time. And he'll tell me about his job, and he'll tell me about his family, and he'll tell me about what's going right for him. And I'll shake his hand and I'll thank him. Because my dad, my dad's a nobody now. But the way that my dad treated nobodies when he was alive has continued to bear witness to the power of redemption in the world.